WSQF Blink Radio, the Concrete Conservative, Mac on the Rock is back. I'm not really back with a vengeance, but I'm back because I hope to not be coughing. But in the creative juices of radio, because that's what usually happens, I don't stop talking. As most of you know me, I just keep on talking. And I'm talking here, I'm talking there, I'm talking on the radio. And I remember everybody saying, hey, man, you need a radio show. You already told me that. I don't want to hear that again. No, no, I got to go to work. And everybody run off during coffee breaks in the early morning at the Oasis that basically doesn't exist anymore. And one of those times that I was talking out loud, sharing, I don't know, I think I was educating someone, a cook at the famous Donut Gallery, my favorite haunt, uh, a young person speaks up, and that's not customary about subject matter that has to do with history, because you know you guys know what I think about the public school system. I don't expect people to know anything, except for that I was proven wrong that morning. A young guy spoke up, and he knew about the story under the presidency Andrew Jackson. He knew the story that that you were taught in school that don't you don't remember the Trail of Tears, when Andrew Jackson told. The state of Nebraska and a couple in Oklahoma and some other states that had signed treaties with the Indians and sent them on his way in the middle of the night, pregnant women, men, children, unarmed Indians walking until they died. Basically killed, I don't know, I don't know the number. I'm going to ask Alejandro. And um, Alejandro, uh, please, what, what do you think that number is? And thank you for joining Blink Radio at the 5 o'clock hour. Um... It's really well recorded, so you'll probably be able to look that up. But I think a rough estimate would have to be like 10,000 to 5,000. Oh, that's cool. That's very low. Um, there weren't I a thought, lot of people I back then. Say, I thought you were going to say, there weren't a lot of people back then. <laughs> You're, you got a good point. So tell, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what provoked you to speak up like that. Uh, there weren't many people at the Godona Gallery that day. So that's got to be one reason that allowed us to engage, because I immediately engaged you. I was very moved by someone of your age, uh, and so much so that I've invited you here today to do this show. Hopefully we'll do it more often. Uh, give us a little bit about your background, what brought you to Key Biscayne. Um, I've moved here recently. Um, I'm helping out with my brother's company. Um, so basically I grew up in, I've always been um, Miamian. However, I really grew up in D.C., in the Maryland, the DMV area. It's called the deep state on this show. You grew up in that deep state. I would drive by the Pentagon regularly. On a, on a, except for that horrible day in 2001, where you weren't nowhere to be seen and no one else has seen it either. And I don't think anybody who has seen it is still alive today. But anyway, uh, continue. Um... So I kind of grew up with these two very contrasting values. Um, I had a very much like a, a Floridian attitude toward freedom, let me do what you want. But coming from the DMV area, you know, that's, that's the area of like credentials where people ask you, what college did you go to? You know, what's your academic background? What are you doing? You know, so those people are kind of harder to impress. And in so I kind of grew up with a very like, I want to know what I'm talking about attitude. So, so you not, started you started studying history probably in early high school. Um, in the way I looked at history, um, when I really started studying it was around like middle school. Oh, uh, wow, I remember very young before cell phones and computers. With I don't even talk on those terms. But, oh, we're talking a guy with abacus, and I was pre-calculated. Okay, <laughs> before that rotted our brain. Um, I remember just being able to. The, the first book I sat down and I really read um, that my dad had lying around was called uh, The Good Old Days. Those were terrible, which talks about kind of the pre-Roosevelt era of the kind of the 1900s, 1890s. Turn to of the century, 1920s. depression, uh, hard work, coal mines. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. And it, it, it kind of, it made me really interested in like learning how things work because... I kind of grew up with a love of science fiction, and what was really... Oh, you and Elon Musk. How about that? <laughs> we'll get about that in a bit. Uh, we'll there's plenty of time for that. Um, but what had kind of hit me with an interest in, um, you know, sci-fi and a lot of satire is usually talking about the present day, 
in the guise of the future. Okay, but not necessarily the guise of the past. Well, both sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, um, like Which I, you would need to have knowledge of in order to do things yeah. like that in context. So for me, it was like figuring out what was really happening with all these big blockbuster movies I liked. Like, what were they actually talking about? Like, um, it's a Japanese cartoon that I just got finished watching uh, today, actually, which is called Mobile Suit Gundam. Which is, it, which Tell is about, us about that. Which, which is just really quickly, it's kind of about um, how Japan feels about its experience in World War II, which is basically about people who go up into space, and the space people are fighting the people on Earth. And it's really interesting. So you would say that we are space aliens to them, the American people? Um, no, because it, it feels they, more... you know, they, they pissed us off pretty quickly. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's... And really... they were also under the guise of a culture very paternal because of yeah. an emperor. Well, m- more than that, what's really interesting, um, I have to do more history research into Japan, but w- what's really interesting is that really the crazy militant class just took over like um speaking of like ways to understand this did you yeah, see people, the last... people who wanted to impress the emperor with their military might and loyalty did you see the last samurai with tom uh, cruise i can honestly say i don't think i have because i can't remember a single scene well that movie is kind of about like the industrial class taking out the samurai right so you have tom cruise who's like as we were talking about like a regretful ex-Confederate soldier who partook in, like, Manifest Destiny, wiping out... Um, the implication of the movie is that he wiped out a lot of... Staged in the United States or staged over there? In, in the movie, he's in America. Okay. So the movie has him, like, very regretful that he's, like, wiped out all these, you know, Native American populations. And then he comes to, to Japan, and the implication is that he's going to do the same thing to the samurai. Um, but then um, what's kind of interesting is that in the lead-up to World War II is that the, the people who are descendants of the samurai who got defeated in this completely took over the what was a liberal democracy in Japan. So we had very much what you can see in Japan was a very resentful and angry militant population that had set Japan on the warpath. And I've talked to a lot of, like, you know, people my age... Um, who come from, like, the Asian-specific islands. And the way that they told me is that, um, you know, because people from around the world have usually the biggest grudges against their immediate neighbors. And um, I got... You mean mean countries that share borders with them or literally neighbors in the neighborhood? um, Countries that usually share borders. Um, And they had, like, a very suspicious attitude toward how the Japanese teach World War II. Well, Chinese have a to this very day have and so do Koreans and so do North Koreans they have a problem with Japan and the they, Philippines they find, and the Philippines they you know most people don't really know this we don't really that the Asian world is based on a set of mores that are very different than us that really value loyalty and honor and family name and stuff which used to be valuable in some degree in this country but that's out the window today. I, I think that's, I think that's only the case with like white Americans up in the north. I feel like among at least the Hispanic community that we hold presence over family a little bit more. Like I don't think that's totally a broad statement throughout all of the U.S. Is the only thing I would say about that. But um. Yeah, well, we're both. By the way, the audience should know that we're both, uh, we're both um, Cuban American, as you like. I I like to say American Cuban. American Cuban. Since I was born in the states, and I really hate to say it, I I do say it out of slip of tongue, calling myself Hispanic. But uh, since Hispaniola was a long time ago, uh, I don't think there's really such thing. But yeah, when I say America, I'm kind of thinking of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I don't really like to say white Caucasian in the sense that that leads me into that rabbit hole of critical race theory and all the modern stuff we're seeing now. And we're a country that has done everything we can to wash us of our sins of the past. And I don't like the opportunity for you to have as a left-leaning individual 
to somehow convince me. I hear it from my daughter, who's a bit younger than you, but still hear from her that, you know, I don't think the topic of conversations is fascism, racism, because this is the only country that isn't those things anymore. People have their personal animus towards each other for whatever reason. But as a country, institutionally, we have already done everything we could possibly do, not flawlessly, but on a race relation manner, we've done everything we could to appease those who believe that racism still exists. I, I and it, I don't think we made a terrible mistake because we've created and galvanized I don't, I, I think poverty in the process. I think, you know, I think we're doing what we can and there's some stuff we have to do more. Uh, my attitude comes from, I went to a mostly black high school and middle school mm-hmm. in DC. And that was a real shock to my system. Um, you know, because especially... It was a public school, I suppose? No, or it was no. a private school? It was, um, it was a sco- private school that used public funding because it was a school for kids with learning disabilities. Okay. I have ADHD, so the school was a very intense process of my life. Um, and it, what it would kind of showed me was that I felt like I, I learned to several things, which is that people have more in common than we imagine... Like, there, there's always a language that you can speak to anyone. Like, um, I do martial arts. And what's really exciting about that, like, just not, I don't want to talk about martial arts, but I'm using this as an example because it's not even a language that's spoken by the tongue. Like, when I go from, like, one school to another across the country. Within martial arts? Within martial arts. We will discuss the same technique. And it's suddenly, like, I've never met this guy before. He'll probably come from a completely different side of the world to me. But we will then start talking about how to do this hold. We will then start talking about what's the way that you guys do this technique. So, and I feel like my experience growing up there was um, being very taught. Um, I went to the suburbs, you know, here in Miami and prior to that. Um, so I really had this feeling like, oh, man, I'm not going to share much in common with these guys. You know, I, I didn't find rap music that I had liked at the time, you know. I had very stereotypical images, but I had completely found that, you know, I had a lot in common. Like, you know, they love, you know, the kids at the school loved video games and cartoons and comic books and yeah. sci-fi. You guys like to have fun, like all kids everywhere. Yeah. So to me, and it's, then I got to see some of the experiences that now black America feels much more comfortable talking about openly. Um, like my best friend who was adopted by white parents would just tell me about his time that he would get followed around um, malls by security. Like even... No, or people locking the door when they see a black man coming. I understand that yeah. part. So it's... I have black friends that have yeah. told me, uh, have you ever walked down the street and all you hear are door locks? <laughs> How would you feel about that? And I said to him, I wouldn't feel anything at all. I would just say to myself... Everybody wants to be secure. You immediately interpret it as a race thing, but, and like, I understand. It, it's like even in Miami, growing up, and I was way too young to be offended by it. Like even in Miami, I can the the toy store is gone, but I just remember um, some guy heard that I was from Venezuela. Like you know, I was in Venezuela at the time, as many people are now. Um, and the guy was just telling me to go back to my country, you know, ah, despite the fact. Boy, did I hear that one. <laughs> Get back on your banana boat. (laughs) So it's like, to me, when I hear the issue of racism, they're like, oh, we've done everything we can. Like, I feel like it's, I get a lot of concern and the anxiety people have around having these conversations because it's, it feels very accusatory, you know, like. Hey, I never owned slaves. That's all I could tell them, you know. (laughs) Uh, But like, you know, these conversations feel super accusatory, like, oh, you know. Because when we talk about just, like, prejudices that we can all be affected by, like, we don't even think about it. Like, um, like I, I noticed one day, like, my attitude toward a guy wearing a suit, toward a guy in a not-so-nice outfit, really just something just completely spoke out to me. And that had nothing to do with, like, racism or sexism. Like, that was it just, probably had nothing to do with those two individuals. It's just something no. that came to your head. But it was just, like, that's that's even how class sits into it. Like, you know... And I, okay, I, but wait, i got to stop you here because it now goes into psychology. One thing that I want you to understand when we continue talking as we do this show more often, this is the Young and Old Show, WSQF, 
Palink Radio 94.5 on the radio dial. And also live stream worldwide, WSQFradio.com. The Young and Old Show, uh, I would try to let you know that I've thought about something. And it's been in my head for years, way before meeting you. Sometimes I'll say things only because I think the audience wants clarification. If I'm having that myself, I have to assume 100,000 or so people that can listen to us, God knows how many worldwide, would want to know. So you got to take the personality out of... Now, to be straight up, if I'm in contradiction to you, uh, you're going to just tell by my vigor that I'm, I'm opposing your idea. But one thing we must have to clear, and I want all the audience to, to understand it too. A lot of people don't understand how many millions of thoughts we have on a daily basis. Millions of thoughts. The vast majority of them are while we're sleeping, we're not even cognizant of them. But even during our day, daily routine, there's thoughts going on in our head that have nothing to do with what we're doing today, nothing to do with what we're cooking, nothing to do with why we channel, change the channel or why we came to the radio to talk. So I say it this way, and I want you to kind of like embrace this. Your mind is not your friend. If it were your friend, you'd have more answers than questions. So that little thought about the guy dressed, the guy not so dressed so well, could be a, a bunch of thoughts that come through your mind, but there's no intent of your brain telling you those things. Therefore, you could just let it go. But, okay. As, um, that, that kind of... Like I would I, say... I, I would disagree on the basis that I feel like the whole art form of movies relies on visual shorthands, right? Like, if a guy is bad, he takes out a switchblade, you know? He takes out a little sneaky switchblade and he pops out, like, you but might... But that, your brain doesn't operate that way. The producer but, and the director... But, operate that way. But they operate on that way with the anticipation that we're going to understand that message. You Absolutely, know? that's true. Like, you know... Yeah, um, there's an aggressive action. Obviously, switchblade means I'm going to stab you with it. Like, if a movie was supposed to show, like, oh, here's this rich, powerful drug dealer, and he lives in, like, his apartment, and there's pizza on the floor, there's all this stuff, and it's not, like, a lower-end area, it's like, we're not going to imagine that he's a very powerful, like, bad guy in yeah, the movie. Yeah, just a street, a street, yeah, yeah. A street hood. Because, like, Images we take in mean something. And for me, you know, as I said, I grew up in the suburbs. I, I had really kind of... Was it Maryland side or Virginia side? Oh, um, the D.C. area. Or in the D.C. area. In the D.C. area. Oh, and then, the hood. And, yeah. And then, and then in Kendall itself. Okay. So, to me, um, my college experience was really... Like, going to small town colleges and really seeing the other sides of America that I had kind of been closed off from. And this was really kind of a refreshing experience because I got to see the way other people look and understand the world. And it's, you know, it was also like working class white people, um, Hispanic migrants who were just there to do... The classic. The, the hard labor that many other Americans aren't willing to do. And so this was really an eye-opening experience. And I really kind of felt... And what age, let the audience know what age from what age were you in DC? Um, from what age to what age? Um, I was in DC from seventh grade. That's like eleventh uh, grade. So you're pretty much a teenager. You're a mature person, practically an adult, all the way to now, I suppose. Yeah. Because I met you more or less when you just had moved back. You told me. So yeah. So you're a mature guy. So you can. So when you're in this high school, uh, you have to assimilate or absorb this. All black, high school, you being Hispanic, not a white guy, even though... Hispanic white. Hispanic white. I say that because when um, when people look at me, they naturally assume that I come from a European country. I actually thought you were a gringo when I met you. Yeah. I would have I, never... I, I call myself gringo. I, I, when people Yeah, ask, you're born here, you yeah. are. And, and also, Spanish speakers in Miami can tell my accent from a mile away. So I, 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 I jokingly call myself Gringo American. Yeah, but you probably learn your English before your Spanish or, yeah. or vice versa. I learned my Spanish because my parents spoke it a lot more than they spoke English when I was a child because it was, we're talking 60s. But by the 70s, my parents were speaking fluid English, and I was too. So I have an accent. I, I, I have to assume I have a Hispanic, there I go with that word, uh, accent. But, you know, my English is much better than my Spanish. That, that, that's the funny thing about being a Hispanic is that 
They tagged you with it. No, 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 no. It's that everyone's like we have an Hispanic of every group. We have like Afro Hispanics. Yeah. We have like indigenous Hispanics. We have like people from Spain, and then like also the Philippines. Yeah. Like wait, there's even Hispanic Asians, which is. Yeah. <laughs> We've been all over the world, baby. Yeah, man. It's uh, <laughs> Spanish-speaking people. Are, we're, we're everywhere. So, so this experience has led you to. Just become a historian, going back to why you picked up history. I and ma- did you go into college doing I it? I majored or? in philosophy. Okay, so you're a thinker. Um, which I ended up using because I was a teacher at the former school I went to. Oh, you went back to teach yeah. after graduating so from college. I put that to use. Um, and what's really and what university did you go to was the, uh, McDaniel McDaniel College. Yeah, West Maryland. West Maryland. Not that I knew. I went to University of Maryland, but didn't finish school. So. I can't honestly say I would remember. I have to assume that the colleges in West and West uh, Maryland were probably hundred years old. You know, co- old colonial establishments. Um, that part of the that part of the nation is the Mason Dixon line. So it's a real conflict between the North and the South during the Civil War. It's right there on the border, and a lot of the trivialties and I don't know family separations were because of the Civil War. I had a gentleman t- tell me. That he lived both in the north and the south, and started in uh, uh, southern Maryland and ended up in northern Virginia, and then immediately went to Alabama, Tennessee, and his father was on military bases. So he remembers, no matter what happened, the southerners never took to him. They always found him as a northerner, no matter how southern drawl he had. He spent more time in the south than in the north, yet nobody really befriended him as a fellow Southerner, no matter how many years he spent there. And it was just, he was a Northerner to them. And this is a guy who was about 15 years older than me. So I can see that that, he lived through segregation more than I will ever, because I didn't live through segregation at all. But these are things that make our country, uh, we, we, we tend to lose sight of how massive we are. America's like five countries in one country. Yeah, like probably even more. Um, you got to read a book called "The Nineteen Nations." So that person spun it off uh, a book that's I think seventeen nations, and he added two of them after reading the book. He wrote his own, and I haven't read the seventeen nations. And uh, the nineteen nations uh, pretty much dispel racism because the the slaves were taken by fellow blacks and brought to the shores of Africa to be able to be picked up by supposedly the white man. So it was actually black men enslaving black people way before whites ever even created a market for them. And then they were signed off as indentured servant, servants. That, that, that doesn't really dispel anything. Like, Well, it doesn't, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't dispel the 1900s racism you saw which became what we know as the Jim Crow laws and all that. When we talk about racism, but we the have to origins keep... of it was a black man enslaving fellow black man. But the slaves <laughs> are older than that, though. Probably slaves yeah. have been around for a long time. But well, like... does it change that fact? But uh, yeah, but like the, the, the that racism we that we're talking about today that still has its lingering attitudes. Yeah. Like this, this was an attitude brought about um, kind of that during the expansion of the European empires. Where they felt like they were in a position to, well, how do we justify this expansion to the people in our own country? And they simply couldn't tell them, like, oh, you're doing this for the queen and the queen alone. They needed something in on it. So they said, like, well, it's our race. It's our tribe who has the right to take what they have. And, you know, usually see some sort of form of this attitude with all empires, right? But the racism we have in the States is a racism that comes from the feeling that the wasps were the ones to be predominantly ruling. Like, yeah, and here's landowners. The yeah. Because they were. Yeah, because here's the thing. It's like even Catholics, even Catholics were hit with, um, like, sort of... Yeah, on prejudices. Drugs, sort of, um, the prohibition. Yes. The reason prohibition was done in the first place was because Protestants did not like the German-Americans settling in. So you can't just... Plus like, they were drinking on, on yeah. Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. On the Sabbath. <laughs> so they, they felt like, well, we just can't come out and say it. And that, that's kind of the hard thing about with a lot of American prejudices is that 
I think deep down, what's great about America... What's is that, cool is that, the, that you understand the backstory, and that's, yeah. what, that's the beauty of radio, is to express it to others cause who are, are listening here on WSQFradio.com and WSQF 94.5. They could say, you know what? I never heard, I never thought about that. And what's really cool about this radio outfit is because it's not generated by ads, it's not even supported by ads, so we could take on subjects that, that you most likely will only hear on a cable tap station or PBS or public broadcasting of some sort. And this is basically the power of community radio right here from Key Biscayne, Florida. A lot of people appreciate the fact that they never heard a voice coming from this island. So you coming back to this island, which throws me, I'm going to just change the subject on us for a moment. What were the ages when you were living here um, before D.C.? Before All the way up to junior year? So you did, I, I, I you lived, did kindergarten here and everything, or no? No. Um, kindergarten through, like, third grade, I was actually in Latin America. I was in Caracas, then Chavez got elected, so we got up and moved to Chile. And then I was in Chile until, like, third grade. So and I, then I went down to Miami for a couple of years, and then to... So I've kind of been a... Wow, it's a very cool experience. Um, Yeah. Yeah, very cool. And then your and your mom was Cuban. My mom is Cuban-American. She left... Oh, um, she's like me, born here. No, she was born in Cuba, but um, left around when she was four and spent most of her time in Puerto Rico and met my dad later in Venezuela. Cool. So the Cuban, um, the Cuban experience from Puerto Rico is also very different from the Cuban experience here in Miami. I know enough uh, Cubans that were raised in Puerto Rico, to know that they will admit that they had it easier than we did. Because we here was hardcore, man. Here you just, man, You if you had a job and you kept it, no matter how underpaid you were, how many abuse, how abused you were, the competition was intense. But the Cubans that tell me stories about their early days of being poor as a rat's ass, and I can say that on the radio. But if you drop, by the way, if you drop an F-bomb, you just, I hit we, that. We, we can say ass. We can say ass. We can say ass. It's nothing more than a donkey. Um, I hit that button for the big F-bombs, and then that thing will light up for eight seconds, so the audience won't hear the F-bomb. But you can't say an F-bomb with, like, four adjectives, because it'll get one of the adjectives. But uh, So don't worry about that. Talk freely. And I noticed that they, that they themselves have gone through prejudices only out of nationalism. You know, Puerto Ricans just... And guess what? The Cubans end up owning all the major industries of Puerto Rico. Therefore, it was my way or the highway in your island. Well, Cubans have that experience too from the 70s, 80s, 90s, right around 2000, where we are obligated to share Miami with the new ones that are coming. But it's still Cuban judges, Cuban cops, Cuban bankers. You know, it's still Cuban town, even to this very day. If you really want to be successful in Miami and get along with people and win lawsuits and defend your business and open lines of credit at banks and maybe your ticket gets your speeding ticket gets disappeared you best be Cuban <laughs> it's that simple uh, Miami's like that and it's uh, it's really cool to live in Cuba Scan because it's like uh, a microcosm of everything I'm talking about with the sprinkling of Colombians, Mexicans Venezuelans Argentines, uh, Argenti- I think we have the Argentine. biggest Argentine population here right well, you 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 will find out if you drive down the 79th Street and you cross into Normandy Isle on Miami Beach, you'll see the biggest freaking group of Argentines and Brazilians you've ever seen. You can tell right now during FIFA, during World Cup, man, every balcony has got Brazilians and Argentine flags from there. But yeah, that makes it also very cool that we are slowly becoming Brooklyn or the Bronx and um, Hispanic-wise. And it's really cool that we can, what's really the, probably the coolest thing about the United States, it can just absorb people, man. It just absorbs people with all their customs, all their traits, all their wishes and wants, and, and then they start demanding. Because you could be born in another country, man. You live in the United States 10 years, you start making demands. <laughs> you know, I have this right, I have this right, you got to change this law for us, and we're going back to... But I feel like that's kind of the strength of democracy. Um, and I really want to give credit where it's due, the, the foresight of the Founding Fathers. That's, it's absolutely brilliant that we have a constitution with amendments. Because it's like what and I... And right used, off the get-go. Yeah. 
And it's like, because what I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of these Jeffersonian ideas of freedom are fantastic, but they're completely agrarian. They are not anticipatory for industrialization. So and inner cities yeah. and par- and mass poverty. Yeah, you're you're very right. So, it's but like, that's where uh, uh, that's uh, the strength I, of the United States is that we have the ability to adapt. You know. Yeah. Sometimes I say, well, here's a Jeffersonian idea that Alexander Hamilton proposed uh, during the Jeffersonian era that might have really applied today and pissed people off, but he believed, and Jefferson to some degree believed, but then turned on the idea that we should found this nation on only allowing da, 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 landowners to vote, property owners to vote. And guess what? Who could say, me personally speaking on the right, man, oh man, if these elections weren't so popular, popularized and weaponized and politicized, property owners would vote very differently than renters and those who uh, don't have a stake in the game. But that, 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 and you disagree with that? Well, no. Um, I, I mean, that's what the like. You know, I remember I was taking an Amtrak back from New York because there was a friend who I knew there. You know, he's a martial artist, so I was training with him, and I was coming back, and I heard this Amtrak guy like whispering to someone real sneakily, like, "I think I have an invested interest in voting for Biden because he takes Amtrak." <laughs> like, you know, like he he, he might he'll be keep looking, it running. He'll he'll, 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 he'll yeah. And it, it, it hit me like, uh, and maybe the, and maybe the fair will be free. But but that's kind of the the point of democracy is, you know. So what? No, but it. the point of democracy is that we represent our own interests. Yes. So I I think the big the big hurdle and the big challenge that the United States has to handle, and I think what's really what you're talking about what has exploded with the internet is that, I think we can both agree before, I want to say like, twenty fourteen. The mainstream media, and I would include Fox News on that. Um, oh, he gave a disclaimer for Fox News because he came into the studio and all three television stations were on Fox. <laughs> but uh, I would all the mainstream media, NPR, Fox News, um, MSNBC, CNN, they kind of had a monopoly on what the public discourse was. And then when social media blew up, we kind of have a chaos that's been blessing and a curse of how democracy looks. That it can get really crazy. It, it can, can also get... be very censored and 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 yeah. uh, and selectively uh, articulated to the the person who only has social media for five or six seconds a day. I mean, social media is one of those places where you got to tell what you and I would see on a newscast or in an article in three words or how many how many letters in a Twitter and a tweet. Well, uh, it's even worse than that, because um, it's not only you have to summarize it, but there is ads that would really cost Facebook... Um, not a, allow me to phrase that, because I want to be correct with my word here. There was an article I had read in the Washington Post that said um, the big thing with Facebook is that they found that angry gets the most reactions. Yeah, most clicks. So, not only are we incentivized to be as aggressive and as nasty as possible on social media... We're being programmed to do it, so because it's like it's everything to gain. Yeah, because the advertisers want clicks. Yeah, and if we- you're going to pay what you're paying on Facebook, I noticed that when I was asked to boost my ads on Facebook, I I noticed what you noticed, which was if my post was above, above and below angry thread, more people would see it, encouraging me to boost the ad, and I. I fell for it only once, and then I stopped altogether advertising, because although I got a lot of looks, I got too many people who just wanted to be entertained, not actually buy into what I was offering. And what I was offering was an ebook that I wrote, and I noticed that uh, the way I wrote my ebook, it's the reinvention of the United States by affect, not effect. That right there put me in a in a place What where, does that mean? Yes. Why did you say that in the title of the book? So if that was my number one, if I was getting a question on the title of the book, I served that purpose, meaning I wanted that. I wanted you to question the title of the book because there's just so many book titles out there. Why not question one? Because it were more likely to get you to buy it. But 
in the discourse of that, they weren't downloading the ebook. Zero. Uh, I got one person who downloaded just, uh, I believe it was just a chapter. When I realized this, I started allowing people for a buck to download just chapters because it wasn't a fictional book. It was an, uh, an expose on what ails us and what am I going to do about it. And I proposed these ideas, right? So I, I had the book all at once. I realized, oh, people don't want to hear all the subject matter, read all the subject matter. And they're just downloading one specific person, uh, chapter. And unfortunately, it was a chapter that I least invested time in. And I go, wow. Just recently, for example, on Instagram, I had a video that was already circulating the internet. It had nothing to do with me. It was a historical snippet between Sam Donaldson of ABC News and a humorous reply from Ronald Reagan. And you know the famous catchphrase, throw your hat in the ring. So I put a spin on something by saying to myself, after watching how Reagan was brilliantly answering Sam Donaldson's question, and the question goes something like this, because it's pretty fresh in my mind. Mr. President, the Democrats seem to be uh, withholding most of what you want in the budget, and it will cost the American people a tremendous amount of money. Do you feel you are part of that problem of wasteful spending, something like that? And Reagan goes, yes, I am part of the problem because I was once a Democrat. Yeah, everybody cracked up. It was brilliant, right? Okay, so that's already on the internet. All I did was, with a background, green background, I said, watching Reagan throw his hat in the ring was like watching Marino throw a football. I'm at 1,700 hits in three days. It's really weird. So I said to myself, oh my God, I got 280 videos of three minutes or under, some of them are 10 minutes, but most of them are three minutes or under, on Mac on the Rock Rampage, so see it, if you enjoy it, subscribe to my webpage. I work so hard at editing this stuff, sometimes I create it myself, sometimes our newscast that I snip it together, and none of them have more than four or 500 followers, I mean, clicks. I'm not even saying that they, li- I don't even know if they watched the entire five minutes, and yet this little cheapo catchphrase at the end of a, a video that already was circulating the internet on its own with two protagonists that are much more popular than I will ever be, Sam Donaldson and Ronald Reagan, gets all these hits. So I'm saying, how cheap is that? And that's very discouraging on my part because I put such little effort. I copy and paste something that already existed. And that's what it takes for me to go viral. <laughs> that sucks. Um, a lot of people just talk about how the the clout chasing experience feels completely random and selectatory ever since the introduction of kind of algorithms into social media has really kind of thrown okay, a wrench in everything. Okay, let the audience know about that because you would probably know a lot more about that than I do. When you say something like that, uh, an algorithm in, in, is something in, that's... In internet years, I'm an old fogey. Um, being 32... I can remember seeing the internet take off, and um, what's really interesting is that back then it used to be so much more ambition-based, because it's like you would just try to put out the best product you can, but now with kind of like people, you know, they do radio shows for like hours a day, kind of, it's called streaming, you know, people will just... Podcasters, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, there's a huge thing with like people younger than me, which is like streaming themselves playing video games... Because it's the easiest thing to do to generate mass amounts of content. Like, there's barely any effort. Yeah, and the camera's already attached to the, the laptop the, or the, phone, or the it, computer desktop. And this kind of, like, kind of has changed the nature of how content on the internet is consumed. Like, and yeah, all my, like that, my daughter, like, for instance, got a viral video painting, literally painting psychedelically, a pair of Nikes. And she got so much followers on, because she went through the process of how she painted the shoe and how she dipped it in, in a bunch of paint and was able to predict how the stripes were going to come out and stuff like that. And she got 5,000 hits, which is outdoing me already. And she was even taken aback by how her video went viral. 
And then the, 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 the real art in this is no longer content. It's how do you get people to subscribe to you using that video, that little art. And that's what I was asking you about. Uh, what the role does logarithm play in that? Because I do not know. Usually, you know, I'm not an expert in this field, but so I'll talk what I have heard other people who are good at it say um, is that you really have to generate a loyal user base. You have to really engage with an audience. So what does the logarithm have to do with that? It's Because it's, it, it's the more generation it is, the more you are promoted. I don't understand that. So... Um, more if generation you, it is. Like, if people are engaging more with it, like, you know, if you'd watch a YouTube video around starting, like, around 2012, people would go, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Okay. You know, because they... I failed to say that in my video. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> uh, no, it's a very simple little thing. Like, you know, you could even ask a question at the end of it, and just the people engaging... Comment below. ...will just push it up. Okay, it, so the more likes, the more it goes up in the yeah. search engine. So... You know, kind of. Like, I do notice about my book, writing it when I was bullish on it, and the the downloading and the whole creature of habit, on a very sophisticated website that was being hacked by the left. I want everybody to know a hundred times a day, to the point where I was suggested to hey move your servers out of the United States, so that the raw copies are in servers abroad. So when you do get hacked, you're getting hacked on the American server, and therefore the foreign lands server can just boot it back up and clean it. In my case, it was really cool. I was taught, not because I, was, I knew this. Somebody told me this. Uh, I constructed the website with, I don't know, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, with three sheets making one visual uh, tool on the website. So that if you hacked any of them, you couldn't hack all three sheets, right? I have no background. It's amazing. And guess what would happen? The hack, when they try to change the words of my written word, it would come out as a highlighter because they only got one sheet hacked. They couldn't hack all three sheets that composed what you and I saw. So I could see that they would flip my words around or just take out a knot from a should not, could not, or would not. Flipping the entire argument by just taking out a knot. Who in the hell is doing that? Who now is spending that much time on my stuff? That's when I realized I had a valuable book in my hands and that what I put on the page meant something to this very day. It's called The Fiscals. And again, that person in this foreign land, I would call him. And for 350 bucks, as everything took an hour to fix, he would, the next morning or later in the day, I would see that it got fixed. The, the highlighter was disappearing. And it was his idea that he break down my website from a white black text page to he actually gave me choices, but I actually put the uh, the print of currency, you know that little yeah. felt looking greenish. The back three pages of different types of green made up the fiscal page, and that's how I would protect myself to this very day. And guess what happened to the end of the story? One day before he dies, he calls and says, "Many," that's the accent, "Many." Uh, it's been wonderful working uh, with you. You have a terrific book, but I need to give you back all the pages because I'm not feeling well. And I go, really? He goes, yes, I will send them in your inbox as soon as I can. Hopefully before the end of the working day, there's hours between us, so I think that you'll have it by tonight because he was ahead of me in time. And can you believe it, man? He passed away one day later of COVID. And because of that integrity, I could never have gotten that work back had he not put me first before he died. Think about that. Of all the people he knew and all the... He, he was famous for building websites uh, that had to do with uh, medical products. Nursing stuff, gauze, you know, surgical equipment. Everybody in this freaking world went to that site in one way or another to get these products to you in terms of... Uh, I guess I would call like PayPal. He was a service provider for that industry. That's how I met him. And uh, he originally was here in Miami. And can you believe that man? Before he dies, he thought about my book and saved it because my book would now be back to square one, the manuscript that I had written on Doc, you know, from WordPerfect. And um, 
I can't thank him enough. So, Carl, God bless you, man. I'm, uh, I can't thank you. I know you're up in heaven now, but I can't thank you enough. And since radio is kind of mystical in that regard, maybe he is hearing it here on 94.5 FM. So, where are you planning to go with this philosophy? Uh, you want to continue teaching it? or I um, Right now, um, I have moved to the Miami DSA, um, and I am helping out there which is the Democratic Socialist of America. Wait, wait, wait. Let me do the Roadrunner. Alejandro drops the bomb. Now, I'm not surprised, but I want the audience to be surprised. Uh, he kind of told me that this is where the, the spinach is in our conversation. And you believe that, since I'm right and you're left, this full declaration, the concrete conservatives now... In quicksand. So, uh, have you changed from the from what you said to me the f- very first day we met um, to to today, or are you going to just turn up the dial? You're, you're getting more amped to be a bigger, better socialist. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at it um, when you really study history and kind of the left revolutions in every consecutive country. For me, I, th- I think the model country. I mean, most people would agree, actually, is Denmark. Okay. Den- Democratic socialists. Yeah. Um, or social democracy, in their case. Um, which they have an adaptation. See, we have a representative democracy. Denmark has kind of an idea that they are an adaptive democracy. Okay. So, they may, that, that, so you can choose not to work and the government will pay for it. Well, they, they have a lot of oil money that they can sit on. Okay. You know, um and there has been proven benefits. With Shell, Shell, Shell is uh, Denmark or Shell the Netherlands? I think it's Dutch. Dutch. It's Dutch. Now Dutch it's is Netherlands. The Royal Doyle um, Shell Company. Um, so Dutch Royal. Okay. All right. So that's Netherlands. So, but I, I do think there's advantages of having a welfare state, like America. Yeah, but how about in America where there's 320 million people? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Um, Big I, one. I, I think it's. America's just in a geopolitical position where we can just stand afloat, that nothing threatens us, given the fact that we won two world wars back to back. I think the question is, here's one thing that most people in the country unanimously want right now, which is universal health care. I don't believe that's true. Um, That was a winning ticket for every single Democratic candidate. Whenever they would say they wanted that, that always got them... The most backing. Um, but it also created the Tea Party movement. It also created the Convention of States movement. It's it also... It's re- not the public option. You're thinking of the public option with Barack Obama. Um, That's what I, formed the Tea Party. Yes. Which because is, he didn't get what he wanted. But nonetheless, the public option is actually a center-right p- compromise that Mitt Romney started in Massachusetts. Absolutely. And, so. it, and it failed there, too. Uh, it would fail here as well. I think that's the the idea, though, is that given that no, we can I mean, do the state I, I, I by state, I can't argue with you because it made him it made him popular enough to lose to Barack Obama in the <laughs> second election, um, and I he think, was really coy about how much he promoted it as a as a governor of Massachusetts because he himself knew that there was flaws in it because he also had to accept parts of it that he didn't really like, but. Politics is that way. You I'm ex- gonna. I would attribute Romney's um, loss to the fact that I never liked Obama, but guy knew how to ran a damn good campaign. Like I never liked him since he got into office because he always seemed like a guy who was willing to sell us to progressive activists down the water. You know, down, down the river. Down mean. the river. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I remember being kind of like. That my big eye-opening moment was kind of the, I feel like how badly handled the Jeremiah Wright situation was by him. Um, the fact that he really was hanging out with these he was. Yeah. black liberation. Well, the, media, the media covered it up. Yeah, because people liked him enough. That was the thing. Is well, that yeah, he, and, he, he really a, handled that well. And I'll do credit for Obama. Um, is that He was a very likable fellow. And that's the thing was that like he really managed to tar Mitt Romney. Remember, this was after Occupy. People weren't motivated enough to do anything about it who weren't already, like, political nutjobs like us. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Political nut jobs. But he managed to successfully make Mitt Romney look like the face of the problem. Like, You're very accurate. He really uh, did. Because I remember people who weren't interested in what I was saying in college, you know, being a radical was much harder during the days of Obama because people would just look at you and go, yeah, what are you mad about? Like, a good man is steering no, the I'm ship. A liberal, have, I'm a liberal. All yeah. liberals are mad about something. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Liberals really want to give up being mad as soon as their first convenient comfort. That's what I feel like the difference between the left and liberals are. To use, because um, you say like, so, you usually, differentiate yourself from the average liberal. You are a radical liberal. Um, I would say like the liberal I would like would be FDR. If the Democratic Party was being run by FDR, I'd be fully calling myself a liberal. And you find him to be Democratic Socialist or American Communist? Um, Democratic Socialist because democracy is my chief thing here. I feel, you know. When you yeah, look, you disclaim that from the get-go, which is a good thing, because yeah. it gives me parameters to be able to discuss with you. Uh, well, I always ask people this quick question when it, um, you know, when it comes down to a lot of political questions: um, Would you rather live in Yugoslavia or would you rather live in like the USSR? Um, and most people say Yugoslavia because Tito, you know, who was a leftist, very hardcore had found himself in a political alliance with the United States during the Cold War against another person. Yeah, because he be- stood up to Russia. Exactly. So, Like, leave me on my turf. I got the Serbs, the Bosnians, and the Croats somehow getting along. But as soon as I die, it's going to... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, shh! Uh, I just said a bad word. Uh, as soon as he died, it was going to go to crap. All right, so we got four minutes left, and i like to expand on this... Uh, are you uh, up to do this again at 5 o'clock tomorrow, or would you like more time to think about these things, or you just want to come back at 5 tomorrow? I could come back at 5 tomorrow. Good. So we'll we'll continue this tomorrow. we got four more minutes. Uh, as far as Romney and Obama, Romney, it was a, I believe he lost the election just at the moment of Benghazi. I believe he was tied going to the race. Uh, Obama had a lot of stuff that that the conservative movement just detested. Obviously, the Obamacare created the Tea Party movement. But when he fell for the video and it cost the ambassador his life and the others at Benghazi in that attack and the weapons that were being exchanged that was later in the Jonathan uh, Terry case, uh, arms dealing case where the United States accuses the wrong guy of arms dealing, and uh, when he was found innocent, he said it was all Hillary and Obama uh, moving weapons from Libya to Syria and it's a weapons deal. And a billion dollars were missing out of the State Department's coffers. His n- him not being able to get that down and dirty with these people and tell them that they, they were they, that they were literally stealing from the public uh, from the public's trough and bought into Hillary's video. That's when so many Republicans refused to vote for him because he already had the knock of being Mormon. And that's a weakness of our party, going back to racism in the beginning. Uh, I don't think it was so much racism is I do believe in a meme that I just recently read that made sense. Most people for failure of thinking judge. So it's easy to judge when you're not thinking. That's my I realize that that's my pet peeve with most people. If you don't want to thin slice something, the word thin slice comes from a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink Radio. That's why I call this Blink. The book is called Blink. And he wants you to thin slice. When you get to your conclusion, ask yourself, your brain, that's got more you know, questions than answers, thin slice your thinking. Why do you get to that conclusion? Don't forget how you got there. Because as you get older, life will start showing you you're right or showing you you're wrong. And Romney's one person who's now shown us that he's been a fink by nature. And he never really was conservative. And guess what? Mormonism has nothing to do with it. And yet, the average average conservative thought so. And didn't vote for him. Didn't vote for Obama. Didn't vote at all. And guess what? Obama won by six million the first time, only won by two point something the second time, and three million Republicans did not vote at all. 
I, I just wonder, what's your definition of conservatism, then, if Mitt Romney does not qualify? I believe that conservatism is a place where everything has to be done in the legal format to not have a welfare state, to not have the government subs- uh, being subsistence to any of us, and to only create streamlined methods for the economy to function at a much more accelerating rate that lifts all of us from poverty into the upper classes. And I'm skipping the middle class. I mean, I believe in a system that can let any person with a great idea get rich. What I don't want to see is what I'm seeing, starting with FDR. We are basically a life insurance company, um, a life insurance company with a low-paid army. That's what America became. With welfare states have more people willing to do entrepreneurship. Okay, but less likely to donate. And guess what? Democrats don't donate, and Republicans donate almost ten times. Ten times conservatives donate more. I'm a perfect example. I spent a lot of my money just giving it away. Um, you might more, more this. tomorrow at five o'clock. Okay, that's the end of the the Young and the Old show. We've been at it. Uh, actually, five more minutes because I see 50 se- uh, 56 seconds. Sorry, 56 minutes and seven seconds. So you well, actually got four more minutes. There are two points me. to the charity thing, which okay. is that um, the first is in an ideological position, which is that um, I'm all for charity, but I feel like major services of living conditions should be provided by the government. Ah, no! (laughs) If people's living conditions are at the mercy of the wealthy, then this is straight up a flaw in capitalism. And this is not me quoting a radical. This is me quoting Adam Smith. That Adam Smith said... He believes in the magic of the marketplace, though. I bet. You know, he said... You know what your biggest flaw is? Hold on. He was very clear that, like, you have to, you know, massage the egos of the wealthy into getting them to build hospitals, naming it after them. Yeah. Like, this is what he talked about. Okay. That these things had to be, to you know, there was a way that you had to pin on the rich people to put back in their community because he recognized that this was going to be a problem. The invisible hand of the market, I believe that's a term in reference to the fact that he was like, okay, rich people normally, you know, invest money outside of the country which is a major problem because it does not build infrastructure and living communities. Why do you say that? Oh, because it's... I don't, I don't believe the Vanderbilts, Rockefellers, Davidsons, Forbes. I mean, the last 20 they, years... They invested in the United States and became la- really wealthy. The last 20 years... Railroads, oil, electricity. The last 20 years of... You know, you know the gentleman Collier from Collier County? Mr. Collier? Printing presses, advertising, you know where? On Flagler's trains. But the last 20 years of business has been um, outsourcing jobs. Oh, like, this, 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 this has been a, a thing since Reagan. Like, no, it isn't. No, down. it isn't. Yes, it is. It's been since FDR and unions and strikes and minimum wage. And that's and to labor. provide people with living conditions. Okay, but guess what? The cost of goods got so expensive that the very people who promoted that stuff hightailed out of here and gave the, all the business to China, which I give you was really marshaled in by Richard Nixon, our I mean, Republican. N- Nixon, if you That's ask, the last one I'm giving you. No, hold on, but <laughs> I, I, I would say this. Nixon today would be called a communist I, by today's Republican I, Party I, for the EPA, which is absolutely, uh, one of and also, us on the left is one of our most valued institutions that we are trying to make sure still has political teeth. Not only that, you guys just got more teeth recently when Joe Biden and his Nancy Pelosi Congress up until till Bless day, you, Dark Brandon. Yeah, Bless you. Yes. EPA now has the right to just shut down oil, coal, and hydroelectric at whim. Just at whim. What are we going to do for for tomorrow at 5? That's, what are we going to do about our power? We're going to be standing in full lines if you guys keep it up. when Trump made it an empty institution. Uh, I believe that as as empty as you feel the EPA is, it's served its purpose. It continues to serve its purpose. It will continue to exist only because I fear what you guys are promoting now 
will really dirty our water, which is battery-operated vehicles, solar, and all that crap you're doing. And you're going to kill a hell of a lot of birds that you guys also promote. Let me Salvaging. You. Not salvaging. Young, saving. Young people are really into nuclear. I hope to God that I'm going to have you now every day for 10 hours so that you can promote <laughs> nuclear because I'm 100% in agreement with you. Now your time is up. So this has been great, Alejandro. And uh, I'm really uh, very moved. I'm, I'm literally, I'm not going to say moved to tears, but I'm very excited that there's someone like you speaking up, talking, and wanting to be on the radio because you're the first person that I know of that wants to do this uh, more and more and more and more every day if possible. And I haven't had that since a building this in 2017 till today. So that's it, folks. We'll be back at 5 o'clock for the Young and Old Show here on Blink Radio, WSQF, 94.5, and WSQFradio.com. And I'm going to leave you with something that Alejandro might appreciate. Killer Queen by Queen, Freddie Mercury himself, 1975. Take care and stay free.